Today we're continuing on in our series, Looking for a Leader. And today considering especially 1 Samuel 19, which we've just heard read. I've been imagining these um, chapters of 1 Samuel that we've been looking at, um, chapter 16 through to 23 in this series. I've been imagining them as a movie. In chapter 16, we see one of those scenes that not everyone in the story is privy to, where Samuel's led by the Lord to anoint David, the youngest of Jesse's sons. Then we see David defeat Goliath. Jonathan, King Saul's son, forming a covenant with David. And overall, most people loving David. But it's not everyone who loves David, as those of you who were here last week heard. King Saul hates him. He's tried to kill him already, and he's given his daughter, Michal, to him to be a snare for him. Most people loving David, but Saul desperately hating him and wanting to kill him. That's where our passage starts today. And it's Saul's desperation to kill David that's played out through 1 Samuel 19. I'd like to keep it open. Um, I think it was page 229 from memory. If someone's got that open, can you tell me if I was right? Yep, that's 229, 1 Samuel 19. So Saul's desperation to kill David is played out through this chapter. Saul is desperate to kill the Lord's anointed one. But throughout the chapter, David, the Lord's anointed one, is protected. And it's that protection that I'm wanting to draw our attention to today. It's that protection that's led me to great thankfulness as I've been reflecting on this passage. God protects David the anointed one, and through that, our salvation is protected. As I said before, our young people are starting to look at the New Testament today, considering the family of Jesus. They're reflecting on all the different people who are part of Jesus's family line. And here we have a key one, David, the anointed king whose protection leads to the ultimate anointed one and our salvation through him. That's what's at stake here. There's four different scenes where we see God's protection of David played out in 1 Samuel 19. So let's have a look at each of them. Chapter opens with a kind of staff meeting about killing David. Saul speaking with his son Jonathan and all his servants about his desire to kill David. Jonathan tells David about this plan and then advocates to his father for David. He reminds his father that David hasn't sinned against him and in fact has been of good service to him, that David took his life into his own hands in going against Goliath and had great victory and that Saul had rejoiced at that. 
Jonathan asks, why would Saul want to kill this innocent man? And at that point, Saul heeded Jonathan's voice and committed to not put David to death. So in this first scene, we see God protect David through Jonathan's advocating for him. I was just thinking with the word from the prayer team this morning about us having compassion. So often God uses his people in protecting his purpose and his people. Saul's commitment to Jonathan doesn't last long, though. In the next scene, we see David playing music in Saul's house and Saul seeking to pin David to the wall with a spear. Not particularly subtle, is it? How's the movie playing out in your mind? This time, David eludes Saul and the spear gets stuck into the wall and David fled. It was pretty clear that Saul was still out to kill David. This time, God protected him by the spear not getting him. The next scene's a pretty interesting one. David's at his house and Saul had sent messengers to his house to keep watch over him with a plan to kill him the next morning. But Michal, David's wife and Saul's daughter, let David in on the plan and helped him escape. This is the daughter that Saul had given to David to be a snare for him. But instead, here she is helping David get away from Saul. And there's a whole heap of things in here that indicate that she's not in general someone who's the most godly person around. Firstly, Saul must have had some reasons to think that she would be a snare for David. Secondly, what she uses to try and hide the fact that David wasn't there was putting an idol in the bed. For her to have that idol means that she probably practised divination, seeking answers from that idol in ways that have been explicitly prohibited by God. And thirdly, and most obviously, she lies and covers over her involvement in David being gone. Lots of interesting nuance in this scene of the story. But what we see is God protecting David through another of Saul's children, this time one who's not particularly godly in the bigger picture. And yet she is one of the people God uses to protect David. Then our final scene is another fascinating one. David had fled from his house after Michal had helped him and he went to Samuel. When Saul found out where David was, he sent messengers to take David. When they arrived, the messengers saw Samuel and the prophets in what they describe here as a frenzy. And it's said that the Spirit of God came upon Saul's messengers And they too were caught up in the prophetic frenzy. There's lots of different thoughts around what it meant that they were caught up in a prophetic frenzy. 
but it clearly means that they were stopped in their tracks from their intention to kill David. And they were stopped in their tracks directly by the Spirit of God. It wasn't just these first messengers that were stopped in their tracks by the Spirit of God. Another two messengers were sent, and the same thing happened to them. And then Saul, intent on killing David, came himself. And the same thing happened to Saul that happened to his messengers. The Spirit of God came upon them, on him, and he joined in the prophetic frenzy, thereby preventing him from killing David. So here we have God protecting David by directly intervening and the Spirit of God coming upon those who are attempting to kill David and hindering them from killing him. What a remarkable story of God's protection. Every time Saul tries something new, God uses another avenue to protect David. And in protecting David, he's protecting his plan for our salvation. He's protecting his plan and he's showing who he is and his character. wonder what your reaction to this is. As I said before, I'm remarkably thankful for it. That this protection of David ensured our salvation, but also that this is our God who protects his plan from those who would get in the way of it. And that causes me to relax. To know that ultimately no weapon that's formed against us can prosper. And to know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. To know too what Joseph said to his brothers recorded in Genesis, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. To know that God has and will protect his plan and his good purpose. And that he has used and will continue to use many and varied means to do that. I can rest secure in that. We can rest secure in that. And the key way that we can rest secure in that is knowing who God is and his character. David knew this and rested securely in it. I wonder how we'd be if we were in the midst of the story that we've looked at today, if we were David. Many of David's psalms are written in situations like this, and many of us have been looking at many of them over these recent months. One of them, Psalm 59, which was written after Michal had helped him escape from Saul. So I thought I'd read it for us today. Psalm 59. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil. From the bloodthirsty, save me. Even now they lie in wait for my life. The mighty stir up strife against me. 
For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Rouse yourself, come to my help and say, see. You, Lord God of hosts, a God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with sharp words on their lips, for who they think will hear us. But you laugh at them, O Lord. You hold all nations in derision. O my strength, I will watch for you, for you, O God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. My God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Do not kill them, or my people may forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies that they utter, consume them in wrath. Consume them until they are no more. Then it will be known to the ends of the earth that God rules over Jacob. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They roam about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your might. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been a fortress for me and a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. What a knowledge of God as his refuge and fortress the one in whom he is safe within. What a trust in God, being a God who fulfills his purposes. What a trust in God as one who would save him. What honesty with God in the midst of the storm. What praise of God and reminder to himself of truth while the waves crash around him. What, what deep knowledge of God being his strength. What trust in the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. David knew his God. He knew that his God could be trusted to bring about his purposes. He knew the steadfast love of his God and that his God would ultimately protect him in the midst of of the storm. The other major character in this story had a very different approach to God. When I think of Saul here, I have a picture of someone with single-minded dedication to a task. And that task is killing David, killing the Lord's anointed. He uses anything and anyone to work towards that end. 
He's wreaking out-of-control havoc. He's desperate. He's driven. There are clearly core things inside him that have been threatened and he just wants to kill the one who's causing that threat. I get it. His buttons have been pressed in a big way. And like so many of us, when that happens, he just wants to eliminate the person causing the pain. What happens as he does that? Firstly, as we've seen, God's plan is not ultimately hindered. We can praise God for that. But Saul destroys himself through his desperate actions. And this is another step in him losing his kingship. In the last scene of the story in 1 Samuel 19, Saul has done the same journey as he did when he became king. Then he'd also had the Spirit of God come upon him and was described as being in a prophetic frenzy. But this time, as he does the journey with the intention of killing David, the description of him ripping his clothes and lying naked is of someone who's completely lost control, who's destroyed. Matters who we follow, who we choose, and seeking to save our own lives through our own means will always lead to destruction in the end, like it did for Saul. But trusting in who God is, in his protection, and in his salvation brings us life and peace. We can trust that he has and will bring about his good purposes. Trusting in that that allows us to stand in the midst of the storm. It's resting in that that we're secure.